Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Philemon, verses 17 through 25. There's only one chapter, so you don't need a chapter number. Philemon, verses 17 through 25. This will be concluding our study on this book of Philemon, and I believe that today is the most powerful message in definitely Philemon and much of the Bible. Philemon, verses 17 through 25, allow me to read this. If then you regard me a partner, accept him, Onesimus, as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers, I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, open our hearts to the truths of your word today. Help us to see this simple message about a runaway slave facing his master with an advocate named Paul, the same way that we run from our sins and need an advocate, your son Jesus. Thank you for your truths. In Jesus' name we pray today. Amen. We're closing this study in the book of Philemon, very short book, only 25 verses, but I think this little passage here reflects so much of the entire gospel of Christ. Paul was willing to work with Philemon uh, to say, whatever Onispus owes, I will pay it. Put it on my account. Does that sound familiar to you? Jesus took a debt that we could not pay and put it on his account. Very similar, very much a picture of the gift of salvation. See, Onesimus was a runaway slave. He was running from his sin of you know, being a slave and running away from it. Uh, but running away from your sin does nothing to counsel it. Uh, they're always going to catch up with you sooner or later. I think I've shared this with you somewhere along the way, but my dad served in the Air Force, you know, just one term, but uh, he, he did have a military marker for his gravesite. And so when it was actually placed, my, my sister went and made sure everything looked right. And she looked at it and she said, that's not when he was born. And so she went to the uh, cemetery office and said, something's wrong with this marker. And he pulled up my dad's form and it had his military discharge papers. And it showed his date of birth being what was on the marker. And it turned out my dad had lied about his age so that he could get into the service a year early. So even sins will catch up with you, even in death. And so we can never outrun sin. It's always going to catch up with us sooner or later. 
But see, Onesimus had a, a debt he could not pay. And he needed an advocate. And somebody named Paul came along. God put them together. God led him to Christ. And Paul did the right thing. He sent him back to his master, Philemon. And we're going to learn more about that. But just as Jesus, the one who paid the debt for our sin, Paul was willing to pay the debt of this runaway slave. Philemon and Onesimus basically represents the choice that's presented to basically everybody about salvation. We either feel that we somehow or another can pay our own debt of sin. Many people try to do that by doing a lot of good deeds and uh, going to church and going through all the motions, being good people, and they think that that's the way to, to pay the debt of their sin. But the only way they're really going to pay that debt is to die a second time. The first time is just your physical death, but the second death is eternal death. It's because you don't have a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Or you can accept what Jesus did. He paid the debt of our sins through his sacrificial death on the cross, and he and he alone was worthy to do that. So let's look at this passage. The very first part in verse 17 says, If then you regard me as a partner. Paul is saying, Philemon, we need to work together to solve a dilemma. The dilemma is really multiple. The first is, Paul has sent Onesimus back to Philemon. We discussed this a little bit last week. Philemon was a runaway slave, and he rightfully was a belonging uh, to his owner, Philemon. And so Onesimus is now back with Philemon, his owner. Now Philemon had to make a choice of what to do. Paul's already shared with him, I really want him back. He has been a tremendous ministry to me and to the ministry that we are doing here in Rome. I really want him back. But Philemon is the owner. He's invested in this man. Uh, he wants him to be fulfilling his duties. So Philemon has a choice to make. Do I keep Onesimus and then do I punish him for his wrongdoings? See, the picture is, uh, even as Paul says, if he owes you anything, put it on my account. The picture is that he probably understands that Philemon probably stole something from, uh, Onesimus probably stole something from Philemon. Y'all, I apologize. I get the two names going back and forth. I, I'll say the wrong one from time to time. But Onesimus stole something from Philemon. And so we look and we see that Philemon had every right to punish him, number one, just for running away and for no longer doing the chores and doing the tasks that he was being uh, a slave to do. But the second thing is, if he had stolen anything, that would up the ante as far as what the punishment should be. Well, slave owners had pretty much carte blanche. They could do pretty much anything they wanted to with the slave. So he could have punished him in any way, even including death. And so basically, Onesimus has a death sentence over him as he is returned to his master, Philemon. But Paul wants to partner with Philemon. He wants him to return Onesimus to Paul, and that way Onesimus would no longer be dealing with this dilemma. If he kept him and punished him, well, he would be not only punishing a runaway slave, but he'd also be punishing a fellow brother in Christ. If he did not punish him, 
then how would that look to the other slave owners around him? Would they see him as a weak individual and he would lose respect? But by sending him back to Paul, that would solve the dilemma. So Paul wants Philemon to see him as a partner that is working together to join together to face this dilemma. Then the last part of verse 17 says, accept him, Onesimus, as you would me. Now let's, let's think about this a minute. If Paul were the one who was coming to Philemon, what kind of a welcome would he receive? Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, known the world over, he's coming to my house. What kind of reception would Paul receive? Probably a pretty good reception. I imagine that Philemon would call out all the people in town, even the towns around him like uh, Heriopolis, Laodicea, and draw them in to, to, to see Paul. Paul's saying, I want you to accept him, your runaway slave, Onesimus, in the same way that you would accept me. Now, probably not all the pomp and circumstances, but at the same time, he wants him to see him as a brother in Christ instead of as a runaway slave. And so Paul is challenging Philemon to look at Onesimus no longer as a disobedient runaway slave, but now as a brother in Christ, the same as Paul. So we look and we see that Paul is kind of causing Philemon to really think about this. Am I looking at this man who now stands before me because Tychicus and uh, Onesimus are the ones who delivered the letter to the church in Colossae, as well as this letter, this personal letter to Onesimus' owner, Philemon. And so we look and we see Philemon is looking directly at Onesimus. And yet Paul is saying, don't see him as who he once was. See him as he is now. He once was a runaway slave. He is now a brother in Christ, just as I am. And so that's the charge. Well, then Paul ups the ante a little bit. Verses 18 and 19. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Let me just stop there. Paul obviously knows that there's probably something else that transacted between Philemon and his slave Onesimus. Onesimus, we don't know his reasons for running away. He may have just simply wanted his freedom and felt that if he could run away and get to Rome and just blend into the large crowd there, then he would be a free man and could do go on with life. But Rome from Colossae, you had to travel overland for a while down to probably Ephesus and then probably board a ship and take a long, long voyage, probably stopping several times along the way on about a 1,400-mile journey. Now, folks, you can hop on a plane and do that pretty quickly today, but that would have been weeks and maybe even a month-long journey. So he had to pay his way to get there. So more than likely, he stole from his owner, his master, Philemon, in order to pay his way to Rome. 
So he probably doesn't have any money now to repay Philemon. So he has a debt that he cannot pay. But here's what Paul's saying. Whatever he's done wrong with you, and if he owes you anything, charge it to my account. Now, folks, Onesimus represents us. We're all slaves, slaves to sin. And we all have a debt that we cannot pay. I can't pay for the sins I've done in my life. There's no way. There's no price tag that I could come up with and give to, to a church or to some entity to pay my way, to pay my penalty. Because according to the word of God, the penalty of our sin is death. Just like the death penalty that Onesimus was probably under. He deserved death. And so do we. And so Paul is saying, whatever debt he has, put it on my account. I will pay it. If you notice something in verse 19, Paul says, I am now writing this with my own hand. More than likely, Paul, like many of his books, probably used a scribe or a secretary to write um, most of this letter, even though it's a very short letter. But now Paul is saying, Here's my signature. Here's my IOU. Here is what I will do. I will pay whatever the charge is. Doesn't matter what it is. Put it on my account. I will pay it. Y'all do understand that Jesus did the same thing for us. No matter how great our sin is, no matter what our penalty should be, Jesus says, I will repay it put it on my account so jesus died in our place for our sins he took the penalty and the guilt of our sins and put it on his account and he died in our place he paid the penalty he paid it in full so we look and we see that paul is making pretty much that same offer to philemon for the guilt and the sins of his slave Onesimus. So he's also reminding Philemon in the last part of this. Mine's in parentheses, which basically means that it may have been added at a later time. We just don't know. But he says, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. We've kind of discussed this. The Bible does not say exactly how Paul and uh, Philemon came in contact with each other, but Paul is very clearly stating here by the way, don't forget, I'm the one that led you to Christ so that you could have this gift of salvation. Well, we know that Paul, as far as the records of the scriptures have, and as far as historical records, he never did uh, go to Colossae. But he was in a fairly nearby town called Ephesus, a major thoroughfare, probably where a richer man like Philemon would have gone to conduct business and our assumption is that that's where they met, that Paul, in some kind of form, met up with Philemon, shared the gospel with him. Philemon came to Christ. We don't know if Philemon spent time immediately with Paul to be discipled or if he made multiple trips. And every time he went back to Ephesus, he looked Paul up and, and allowed Paul just to encourage him and disciple him further and further. But obviously, Philemon became a strong Christian so strong that he was willing to sacrifice his own property 
He opened up his own house for the church to meet there. And so we see that Paul is reminding Philemon, don't forget what I did with Onesimus leading him to the Lord, I did to you as well. So now we are all brothers in Christ. We're all fellow children of God. And so we look and we see that uh, we place our faith in Jesus. He leads us to salvation. His Holy Spirit draws us. He helps us to be discipled. He empowers us to do His good and acceptable and perfect will. And He takes away the debt of that sin that we cannot pay. And only God can place our sin on His account. Jesus was the only one worthy, the only one sinless, the perfect Son of God who came and said, this is my ministry. I will die on a cross, taking upon myself the guilt of death that mankind owes that he cannot pay. And so we look and we see that Paul is making that offer and reminding Philemon, God used me to lead you to salvation. He used me to lead Onesimus to salvation. The two are the same. God sees you and he sees Onesimus equally the same. Doesn't matter what your status of life is. See, so Paul is basically challenging Philemon to look at this situation through spiritual eyes instead of human eyes. And then verses 20 and 21, Paul is saying, Philemon, you have an opportunity to do something really special. I really want you to be a blessing to me. Verses 20 and 22, 21 say, Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. Now, if you read this whole book, at all 25 verses as a whole, you will see that Paul's really not holding anything back. He's making it very clear Onesimus has been a great value to me. He used that play on words. When he ran away from you, Philemon, he became useless. But the name Onesimus means useful. And when he came to Paul and became a child of God, he became useful to Paul. And Paul is over and over and over again saying, he is useful to me. I want him back. I want him to be a part of the ministry here with me. And so we look and we see that he's saying, I want you to be a blessing to me. I want to know that you are looking at the heart of God, that you're seeing Onesimus now as useful, not only to you, but also to me. And how can he be useful to you and me at the same time? By sending him back, because you will have gained a brother in Christ that will be with you forever even though he's not physically with you. So he says, I have confidence in your obedience. In other words, Paul's saying, I already know from the heart that I know about you, from our times in Ephesus, from what I'm hearing from Epaphras, from what I'm even hearing from Onesimus himself. I know that you're a man of character, a man of God, and I believe with all my heart that you are going to do what I'm asking you to do, that you will be obedient as I write this but also know that you'll do even more than what I say. Well, Paul's already given a pretty good uh, request. Send Onesimus back to me. 
forfeit all that you've invested in this man to do all the tasks that you've trained him to do. Just let him go so that he can come back to me. What else could Philemon do? Well, he could send Onesimus back to Paul as still a slave, basically just transfer ownership to Paul. Or he could do what would be right in God's eyes to release him as a free man. I believe that's what he did. It would not surprise me at all with Philemon probably being a fairly wealthy man. They probably also sent support for Paul and his ministry as well. So I believe that Paul received Onesimus back as a minister alongside of him as a free man with no strings attached. And he probably also received an offering, something to help support his ministry. And so we look and we see that he wanted him to be obedient to what he already knew that God wanted him to do, as well as be even more giving. Now, do we know if Philemon actually did this? Do we have any biblical evidence? We don't. Except that this book, Philemon, is in our Bible. Think about it for a second. If Philemon turned Paul down and said, absolutely not, I'm not going to do it, do you think that this book would still be in our Bible? I believe that the evidence is that Philemon was obedient, that he gave Onesimus back to Paul. Is there any evidence outside of the Bible? Well, there's actually a man named Onesimus that became a bishop of a small church, and there's historical evidence of him ministering. So the picture is that we see Paul receiving Onesimus back and doing like he does, does with so many of those who have come alongside of him. He trains them and then sends them out into ministry. Is that the same Onesimus? We don't know for sure. Some historical evidence says it is. We don't know for sure. But we can think it probably is. Well, let's pick back up with verse 22. Paul's hopes and prayers. At the same time, also prepare for me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Paul has this sense that his time of house arrest is about to end, and it probably was. He was not under house arrest, but about two, two and a half, three years, something like that. And so we're probably looking at the end of his time under house arrest. Now, Paul was struggling. He had mentioned in other of his scriptures his desire to continue on with a missionary journey, maybe in all the way to Spain. But here he is basically saying, I also want to go back to those I've already ministered to to ensure that they are being obedient to the word of God and to just give them encouragement and visit with them. That's kind of the picture of what we see here is that Paul wants to come and personally visit with Philemon, a man that he already knows. He knows his character. He knows the church there that meets in his home in Colossae. And so this would be an opportunity for Paul to come and give his personal uh, touch to that ministry. Now, what does this mean? Why, why did Paul add this? Well, let's think about it from a humanistic viewpoint. Right now, Paul is some 1,400 miles away. It'd be pretty easy to say no to somebody that far away, 
especially in the, if they're under arrest, imprisoned, you don't really think about you know, their, their availability to come to you in person. But here's Paul saying, go ahead and make a place for me to stay. I hope to visit with you soon. Be another thing to say no to Paul face to face, wouldn't it? So I think that Paul may have been just giving a little bit of a tweak and saying, just act as if I was already there. Just act as if we were talking face to face. Because that's really what Paul is trying to do. Then he closes with verses 23 through 25 in very much the same way he closes with most of his uh, books. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, and my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So he shares those who are alongside of him in his ministry and sends greetings on their behalf. And then he does like a closing benedictoral prayer. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. We depend on the grace of God all the time. If we didn't, we'd be doomed to our sins because it's God's grace that gives us his gift of salvation and eternal life because we don't own it. We don't earn it. We cannot find a way to buy it. We can never do enough good things to for it to be granted to us. It is simply a matter of faith. As we place our faith in Jesus for what he did on the cross, dying on the cross for our sins, he opens up the door for us to receive his grace. And the other side of the coin is mercy. What we do deserve is eternal death. We deserve eternal punishment for our sins, but mercy cancels that debt. We don't get what we deserve. So now that we've kind of come to the conclusion of this book, let me spend a little bit of time comparing the story of Paul, Philemon, and Onesipus and compare it to the story of salvation. Well, there's at least five different ways that these stories are related. First of all, every one of us is a fugitive or a slave. We're all just like Onesipus. We've all been running from God. Onesipus was running from his owner, Philemon, we are running from God because of our sins. But we can never outrun God. We can think that we're running away from the consequences of our sins, but we never can. They're always going to catch up with us. So we find this truth in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, part of the Roman road, plan of salvation. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We cannot escape our enslavement to sin on our own. Second is we stand guilty. We are guilty of our sins and the guilt of our sins deserves a severe punishment, death, eternal death, not just physical death, but eternal separation from God. That's what we deserve. So we look and we see that we stand guilty before Almighty God because of our sins. Is there a scripture that backs that up? Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the first part. For the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But third is that only grace can overcome, and that grace comes through an advocate. Paul was acting as an advocate. He was acting on uh, Onesimus' behalf before Philemon. 
Well, Jesus is our advocate. He is the one who is our advocate between God the Father and us. And he says, God, Father, I died for their sins. Place the guilt and the penalty of their sins on my account, for I have paid for it in full. Just like Paul says, whatever he owes you, put it on my account, and I will pay for it in full. That's what Jesus has done for us, being an advocate. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator, also between God and man, and the man Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the only one worthy to be our advocate. The fourth comparison, our debt must be paid. The debt of our sin must be paid one way or another. If we die in our sins, then we will face a second death. We will die physically, but we will die lost. And when the judgment comes, we will die a second time. We will be cast into the lake of fire as our study in Revelations that we just com completed tells us. That is the second death. So our debt must be paid. We're either going to pay it ourselves through our own physical death and then eternal death, or we let someone else pay the debt. Jesus is the only one who can pay the debt of our sin. Nobody else can stand in our place, die for us, take our penalty of our sins and put it on their account, but Jesus. He is the only one that can do that. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us in our place because he's the only one who could. So the fifth comparison is our rightful owner accepts us and adopts us into his family. Philemon was the rightful owner of Onesimus. Paul was pleading with him to accept him back not as a returned slave, but as a brother in Christ. God created us in his own image, but we are lost. We run from God. We are the runaway slaves. We're trying to run away from our sins. But when we come to ourselves and we realize that Jesus is the only answer to our sins and we accept his sacrificial death on our behalf and he places the guilt and the penalty of our sins on his account, and he covers it with his righteousness. And something dramatic takes place. We're no longer just human beings on this earth running away from God with this penalty of guilt. No, we are now transformed into a child of God. He claims us as his own. And he no longer looks and sees the guilt of our sins on our account. Now he looks and sees the righteousness of Christ covering our account. What a beautiful picture. That's what Paul was basically trying to do for Onesimus. He couldn't do it other than paying a physical price. But Jesus paid the spiritual price. He paid it with his death. So we look and we see Romans chapter 6, 23. First part says, for the penalty of sin is death. But here we have the good part. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see the gospel message in this? 
Paul's been painting the picture all the way through. It really comes to a beautiful conclusion at the end of this book of Philemon. We see that we're sinners, that all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. Every person on the face of this earth has been running from God, trying to run away from the consequences of their sin. They can't do it. There is a penalty that needs to be paid. That penalty is death, eternal death. There's an advocate, one who is willing to be our go-between, between us and God. And there's only one worthy to do that, and that's Jesus. How did he become worthy? First, he came out of heaven, lived a perfect, sinless life, so that he would be worthy to take our place on the cross and die for our sins. When he did that, we place our faith in him, and we see that our debt is paid through him, and then we see that God, the one who created us in his own image now claims us back into his family as his children. What a beautiful picture of salvation. It's all found in 25 verses. Actually, it's found in what, about eight or nine verses here at the end. So just kind of wrapping this up, there's two kinds of slaves in the world today. Think about it. Two kinds of slaves. Well, we don't talk about slavery anymore, but we're slaves. There are those who are still running from God, trying to run from the consequences of their sin, trying to find some way to find peace and rest, but they never find it because they cannot outrun the consequences of sin because it will always catch up with them because they will die one day, and without salvation, they will die another day, the second death. So that slave is still slave to sin. But then the second is the slave that is guilty of sin, but he finds an advocate, Jesus Christ. And he surrenders to the Lordship of Christ, accepting what Jesus did on the cross on their behalf, dying in their place, taking the, the guilt of their sins, paying the cost through his death, and then placing his righteousness on them. And they are no longer running and looking for peace and rest. God gives them his rest and restoration and a new life in Christ by becoming one of his children. Simple book, 25 verses long, the powerful message. I pray that as we close this study, that you may even spend some time going back over it thinking about especially this end part where it shares a beautiful picture of the plan of salvation. No, Paul is not Christ. He kind of pictures Christ, becomes an image of Christ in what he's doing between Philemon and Onesimus. Philemon's not God, even though he has the control to either accept or reject what Paul is doing. Onesimus is us. We are Onesimus. We are slaves to sin. I'd love to say that from the time that I accepted Christ, I wasn't still a slave to sin, but I am. I'm still a sinner, and so are you. 
So what do we do with our sins today? Do we still try to run away from them, run away from the consequences of them? Or do we face them spiritually? Well, if we face them spiritually, here's what we need to do. Each and every day we must bow before Almighty God and say, Lord, I'm still a sinner. And here is what I have done against you. Do you remember David after he was condemned of his guilt with Bathsheba and murdering her husband? He turned to God and says, God, I've sinned against you and you alone. Well, he actually sinned against other people, but sin is ultimately against God. So no matter what our sin is, we need to bow before Almighty God and confess it. Not only confess it, but repent of it. Repentance means I don't want to continue in this walk. I don't want to continue in this path that leads me into these sins. God, I want you to help me to turn around, to no longer pursue sin, but to pursue you instead. So God, as I repent, be my strength, be my guide, to show me the ways to walk that are true to you and obedient. Lord, as I confess my sins, I know that something special is happening. Because of your word, you promised to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of my unrighteousness. So yes, I'm still a sinner, and so are you. So each and every day, we need to get rid of that guilt of our sin. Jesus already died for it. He's not going to die on a cross again for us. He's already paid the price for it. But our confession is a way for us to cleanse our own guilt so that it no longer affects how we live for the Lord. What happens if a person becomes a child of God and never confesses sin after that? Well, God cannot bless them because they're living in disobedience. Do they lose their salvation? No, not if they truly have given their life to Christ. But if they truly have, then the evidence should be that they are living a surrendered life unto the Lordship of Christ, which would mean that they would be guilty of their sins each and every day, confess their sinfulness, and receive God's cleansing. So the question is, are we truly living surrendered lives to the Lord? If we are, the evidence is that any time that we do sin, we feel that conviction through the Holy Spirit of God dealing with our heart and our soul. And we say, Lord, I cannot live this way. Let me confess it before you. Let you forgive me and cleanse me and set me on the right path where I can avoid this way of life. Is that your heart's desire or do you just want to say, well, my name's on a church roll. I walked down an aisle one day and I got baptized and I'm a Christian. And now I can live any way I want to. If that's your attitude, you're still a slave to sin. There's no hope except for Christ. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, we come to you today realizing that it is only because of your great love for us that we have this gift of salvation and eternal life. Help us, Lord, to realize each and every day that we belong to you, not because we've done anything worthy, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Help us to see this beautiful picture of the gift of salvation 
through this book of Philemon. Then help us to share it with others. Help us live it out first in our own lives and accept these truths, but then help us to live it out so that we will be found faithful to you. Lord, guide us in our response today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.